it's not like they're abandoning the metaverse completely, but I think they have made the full-on shift to really leverage all the data and AI capabilities and talent that they have at Meta, which was the right business decision. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 66 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Kaput. Hello, Mike. Hey, Paul. We are back to our regular recording schedule. So it is Monday, October 2nd, 9 a.m. Eastern time, about. Uh, so hopefully, unlike last week where we recorded a day early and then everything started getting announced. <laughs> Because last Monday was a little crazy. So we're going to get into some <laughs> of the stuff that happened not only last Monday, but really kicked off a pretty crazy week. Um, but I, I was traveling last week. I was in Miami and Austin doing talks. You were where last week? I was in Baltimore last week. Yeah. Okay. I think we were actually at the airport at the same time. But I think uh, we were, yeah. <laughs> from the departing flight. So while Mike and I were both uh, off doing talks last week, um, it, the, the AI world just sort of changed and it was like I, I remember being in the different cities like trying to process everything that was going on and trying to decide do I change my presentations for today because hmm. both both talks I ended up weaving in news just from last week to try and you know explain how quickly this stuff is changing so lots to talk about today some really cool big topics and definitely seems like we're still in for a pretty hectic fall of AI news because it really seems like the things we've been hearing about are really just the leading edge of some of the other things that are coming in the in the you know weeks and months ahead. So buckle up, as we always say, it just keeps getting crazier. Um, all right, so today we have uh, the episodes brought to us by BrandOps. So many marketers use ChatGPT to create marketing content, but that's just the beginning. When we sat down with the brand ops team, we were impressed by their complete views of brand marketing performance across channels. And now you can bring brand ops data into ChatGPT to answer your toughest marketing questions. Use brand ops data to drive unique AI content based on what works in your industry. You can learn more at brandops.io slash marketing AI show. So again, that's brandops.io slash marketing AI show, and you can see BrandOps in action. So thanks to BrandOps for sponsoring this episode. And then also uh, we have AI advertising. Start winning with AI advertising's innovative approach to maximizing budget and performance. Use AI to optimize campaigns by gaining deep customer insights, drawing out motivations and behaviors, enabling intelligent targeting, and ensuring messages hit the mark. Stop wasting time, money, and resources. Let AI advertising lead while you take the credit. So that is AIadvertising.com slash AIpod to learn more. And then uh, just wanted to mention, we've talked about this, I think, on last week's episode, but we have the AI for Agencies Summit coming up November 2nd. That is a Marketing AI Institute event. Uh, it's a half-day virtual event you can uh, join us for. It's going to be amazing talks. We have, let me just pull it up so I don't forget what we've got. We've got, I'm doing an opening keynote on AI emergent agencies, so what the future of an agency looks like. 
We have Sharon Torek doing Balancing Legal Risk with Opportunity. We have Robert Rose doing an amazing talk on the real opportunity for agencies advising on generative AI. Mike is doing one on AI partner programs. Drew McClellan from Agency Management Institute is going to be looking at 2024 and what's in store for agencies. And we have a series of rapid fire uh, case studies from agencies. So if you are an agency leader, I uh, highly recommend checking that out. Or if you are a brand marketer and you uh, work with agencies, I would recommend that they check it out to uh, get up to speed on everything with AI and be able to create a ton more value for your organization moving forward. So that is AI4Agencies.com, F-O-R, A-I-F-O-R, Agencies.com. And you can use AIPod50 to get $50 off of that. So again, that's November 2nd. It's a half day. It runs from, I think, noon till 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, that will be available on demand as well. There'll be an option to add on demand at registration. All right. So let's get into it. There is plenty to talk about this week. We've got three main topics and then we've got, I think, five rapid fire. So let's get rolling, Mike. Sounds good, Paul. So first up, Chad GPT can now see, hear, and speak thanks to two big new updates. So first, Chat GPT can now analyze and respond to images. So you just drop a photo or a picture into it and then start prompting it to do things with that image. For instance, Kevin Roos at the New York Times tested prompts like, tell me what this object is in my junk drawer, summarize the front page of the newspaper by just giving it a photo of the paper or write Facebook marketplace listings for these photos I'm giving you. And he said it actually did a pretty good job doing all three of those things. The second big update is that ChatGPT can now talk to you just like Siri or Alexa. So you just speak to it via the app and ChatGPT responds. So Roos, again, kind of put it through its paces and did things like have it read a bedtime story to his child. It helped him analyze a dream he had by talking it through with him. And it actually conversed with him about some work-related stress that he was having. And really notably, he said it's way better than Siri or Alexa and that it sounds much more natural and actually feels like you're having an open-ended, useful conversation out loud with a machine assistant. Now, most users don't yet have access to all these features. They've just been made available to some early testers, but they're soon going to be rolled out to ChatGPT Plus and ChatGPT Enterprise users. Um, somewhat related, at the same time, we also got an announcement that ChatGPT is now able, again, to connect to the internet. Now, OpenAI had shut down this feature for some time after, I believe, ChatGPT was uh, scraping websites. It did not have any business scraping and reading paywalls. paywalled content. <laughs> um, but now you can, uh, as a ChatGPT Plus user, access these features again. So first up, Paul, kind of talk to me about this ability to analyze images? How can I start using something like this to my benefit as a marketer or a business leader? Yeah, I mean, I think on, on the back of the Dolly 3 announcement, so if you didn't catch last week's episode or, or, or missed that news, so we just had Dolly 3, the next version of their image generation technology is going to be infused into ChatGPT. So you're going to be able to create images with text prompts. And then like two days later, they announce all these other capabilities where it can analyze images and it can talk to you. 
And I think the, the broader thing to understand here is we are seeing the next generation of these language models starting to roll out through these changes. So Google Bard has had this capability, like you could give images to Google Bard, but as we've talked about previously, like for some reason, Google's models just aren't there yet. They're, they're not as capable as what we're seeing with OpenAI at the moment. I expect that will change this fall, but right now, the reality is ChatGPT is just an insanely powerful tool. And, it, you know, you and I are out all the time doing these talks, meeting with hundreds of marketers and business leaders. And the reality is like people just don't really comprehend what ChatGPT is capable of doing. Like mm. most people just think they go in and they kind of use it like a search engine or they ask it to write something. And they're not really thinking about the depth of all the capabilities it has and really pushing it and experimenting with it and trying. And I think this is a great example with this image technology. Once you have access to it, don't just go in and like give it a photo and say mm. like, analyze this for me or like what's going on or like, you know, really think about a series of use cases. Kind of like when Mike, when you and I talked about, you know, how we demoed um, Duet AI on Google in a past episode. Mm -hmm. And we went in with like specific use cases in mind. And so that's what I would recommend off the bat here is like, if you're a marketer, if you're a, a business leader, if you're really in any profession, really think about these tools and go into it with, all right, I've got five ideas of how I'm going to test this thing and see what it's capable of. So, you know, for example, with the image, so let's say you can upload any, any image to chat GPT and it can analyze this thing. And I have seen some demos of people who have this already, and it's, it's incredible what it's mm -hmm. able to do already. But for example, say you gave it a Google analytics chart or any kind of marketing data chart and said, analyze what's going on in this. It can do it. It can read the text. It can interpret the images. So you might have a, a, a way where we're going to use this as an assistant to analyze charts and data. Um, you mentioned product descriptions, given it photos, writing descriptions. If you run an e-commerce store, like mm. imagine the ability to say, here's a hundred products, like write the descriptions for these, uh, photo captions is another one that comes to mind, whether social media posts, articles, like whatever you're using these and you need to write captions, like here's a photo, what's going on in it, write a caption, um, explaining visual concepts. So this is one that immediately came to mind because I happened to be reading uh, a, the research report that Ethan Mollick and the team did on that BCG study we were talking about where they, a couple of weeks ago, where they analyzed 758 yep. consultants and the increase in performance using GPT-4 or not. And this research report had these charts in it that like, I've looked at these things five times and I can't actually understand what in the world the charts are showing. And so like, that would be one where I would say, okay, just throw it in the chat GPT. I'm obviously not smart enough to figure out what they're trying to represent here. Like, what is this chart saying? That would be an example of how I might use it. Um, the other one that came to mind um, here was customer support, customer service. So there's a few examples I've seen of companies that were built to analyze images. So in the insurance side, for example, if there's a car accident, the ability for the AI to look at the photo and analyze what happened, the, the amount of damage and what the replacement cost is or what the mm. cost to fix it is. Um, I have something like this in my Tesla app. So if you have a, if there's a, de a defect in your car, you upload a photo through the Tesla app. And I assume they're using some form of computer vision to analyze that thing. But right now you have to like probably invest millions of dollars to build a tool to be able to do that, whether it's for product defects or car accidents or insurance claims or whatever it is. But this seems like 
those vertical solutions may be in trouble in the not too distant future. Because if you have this general purpose model that's able to analyze pretty much anything, it, you start to wonder about like, what is the future of these, these vertical solutions? Mm. Um, so those are kind of the things. And then like another example that kind of goes back to our past, we used to have a client that was in the roofing industry, commercial, commercial roofing. And so one of the things they do is they look at the, on all these flat roofs, like on targets and Walmarts, like there's, there's these drains on top of these roofs. And some of these drains in some older buildings could be, you know, decades old and you can't tell what the brand is anymore. So now imagine just being able to take a photo of that, that drain and it just immediately analyzes it and says, yeah, this is a drain from 1965. It's, you know, from this manufacturer and you can now match that drain. So I think you're going to see, we talk a lot about AI opening up new possibilities and innovation and like entirely new ideas to reinvent industries. This is the kind of tech to me that when you put it in the hands of people who have domain expertise. They start looking at their industry differently and saying, oh my gosh, like we have been doing this manually all these years. Like what if we can now just take a photo and it tells us what to do? So those are some of the things that like immediately jumped out to me as potential use cases. But again, as you highlighted, this is all going to be about experimentation. It's going to be about mm. the people who are out in the frontier testing this stuff and finding use cases, kind of like we did. What last week's episode, we talked about Andy Crestodina and like him using ChatGPT for SEO. That's, that's what needs to happen is like these people who are experts in their field, finding the use cases. Cause open AI is not going to like say, Hey, marketers, here's the 25 use cases for this thing. Like they don't care. They're just pumping out the innovations. Yeah. What also jumped out to me is we've talked in the past about how useful tools like this can be for as strategy assistance. And I yeah. think this capability takes that to just a whole new level. I mean, you mentioned here analyzing charts and explaining visual concepts. Well, how many times have you and I like slammed our head against a whiteboard for three hours when it just looks crazy and we're like, all right, take a photo of it. We'll get this into a cleaner format. Like we can just do that now and have it fill in strategic gaps and say, hey, we're still trying to figure out this part of a customer journey or a business plan. That becomes really interesting to me. We could do that before with words, but it takes quite a bit of time to describe right. what is just there in an image. You know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. I think that's really interesting. I'll be very curious to see as well any type of web development and design. This kind of harkens back to that first, I believe it was the first GPT-4 demo where they basically wrote on a piece of paper what a website could look like. And then it can create it. This is the promise of that. We could literally sketch out in two seconds how we want a homepage of our app to look and say, hey, I'd like you to attempt to code me a prototype. Yep. Yeah. And I actually saw demos of that, of, um, people doing it for that kind of thing. And I, I agree hundred percent. Like if you're, you know, you're standing at the whiteboard and you're like, okay, here's conceptually what we think needs to happen. Here's how the customer journey is going to go here. Or here's how the learning journey is going to go for this audience. And you like get a model in place and it's like, ah, oh. and it's cause so many times, like I I'm sitting in my, my office basement at 1130 at night on a Saturday, trying to like conceptualize something and you just need to talk to somebody or like think mm. it through and I'm not going to bother you at 1130 on a Saturday. So you're like, okay, let me just like get this concept, take a picture, put it in chat GBT and say, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I have so far. What, what should I be thinking about or how should I do that? And to actually like interact in a strategic way, like you're saying, that's the stuff that to me is like, 
what if? Like, I mean, it sure seems like maybe that's what we're entering into. And now you really get into the situation where the the professionals who figure out how to use these tools to do that kind of stuff, how they're able to just leap their peers in terms mm -hmm. of like capabilities and, and utilization of these tools. So I think this fall, as I, I believe they said it was going to start rolling out over the next couple of weeks to chat GPT so. plus and enterprise users. So probably by the end of October, we're going to start seeing some really cool ideas of how to apply this technology. And so I think that's the action item for everybody is when one, when you get access, well, one, if you don't have ChatGPT plus yet, pay the 20 bucks a month, like seriously, like this, you, you need to be able to experiment with this technology. So get your ChatGPT plus account if you don't have it. And then once you get this technology, start experimenting with a series of use cases in mind. Like you're going to get more use cases as you're going and testing it, but like have some ideas in mind and then start paying attention to the people who are out in the frontier, really pushing the limits of what these things can do and getting inspiration for the own, your own ways to apply this to your career. So talk to me a bit about possible use cases and your thoughts on this voice assistant capability for ChatGPT. I was pretty blown away how strongly Kevin Roos in the New York Times was like, yeah, this thing, you know, blows Siri and Alexa out of the water. Yeah, I think we for the last, you know, five, 10 years have been waiting for voice assistants to truly be assistants and not just like give you the weather and, you know, sports scores and like those fundamental things. Like I always complain a lot of times in the morning, like my kids will ask me questions. My kids are fifth and sixth grade. So like on the, on the ride to school, we'll have questions or conversations about like totally random stuff, like black holes and just like things they'll ask me about. And it's like, or how far is the moon from the earth? If you see the moon in the morning, like things like that. And you like ask Surrey because it's the obvious thing while I'm driving. Hey, Surrey. And it'll like say, I found three links. And it's like, that's not the point. I'm driving. I wouldn't have asked you if I wasn't driving. I can't click on the three links. So this idea that like whether it's Apple solves it finally or whether it's Pi because like inflection Pi, you already have the ability to have voice conversations or if it's, you know, open AI and ChatGPT, like someone has to solve an actual assistant that you can have a conversation with and learn things from. And we know that OpenAI's whisper technology is incredible. Their transcription technology, their voice to text, like the ability for the, their, their technology to understand human voice um, and transcribe it is incredible. And if that's the basis for this, which I believe it is, then it's pretty interesting. And it, you know, really starts to lead down this path of what, what do Amazon and, and Apple do, um, mm. you know, are they improving their own technology is. And we're going to talk about uh, Amazon's investment in Anthropic. Uh, I saw an article from Rob Taos, uh, Taos Toes, um, in Forbes, I think it was, where he was like theorizing who buys who. Um, mm. And one of them was like, well, maybe I think it was Apple buys Inflection Pie and then just uses Pie to replace Surrey. So I think what we're going to see is a, a, a rapid escalation of competition in this space because everybody's trying to do, we're going to talk about Meta next. Meta's got these capabilities. Apple has them. Amazon has them. These startups are building them. So I think we may, 2024 maybe is the year where voice finally like starts to become what we've thought it was going to be all these years. And, you know, maybe that's something we need to start thinking and talking more about is where, where voice is going and what are the implications to businesses. 
So zooming out as we wrap this topic up, you know, the fancy term for these are multimodal assistants. You know, yeah. they're in multiple modalities. They're able to interact, you know, through text, through images, through voice. What are the bigger implications here on like my career or my company having access to something like this? I really think we're at the very beginning and we do know that the next iterations of these models are going to be multimodal. The word is that G that GPT-5 uh, will be multimodal from the ground up. So what we're seeing right now is an, a language model built in a traditional way to do text that they're layering in these other abilities on top of. The rumor is that the next version of GPT from OpenAI will be built multimodal from day one. My assumption is that is what Google is doing with Gemini, their next model that's supposedly going to be more powerful than GPT-4. So we've known that multimodal, as you call, called out, is the future of these things. That was like the, the given of what happens next. There's always this like, well, where do, where do we go next with this technology? Multimodal, the ability to take in and output images, video, audio, text, code, all of these things. That's what these models are going to be capable of. So what are the implications to us in business? It's like, that's the trillion dollar question. Like, what does this do to the way we work? What does it mean to different industries? Um, you know, it, it, you really have to sit down and start projecting out on an individual company or industry level. It's very hard for us to prognosticate, like broadly speaking, horizontally across all industries to make some blatant statement about the impact it's going to have. But I think what it is, is the leaders in different industries who get there first and test this technology, they're going to find the ways to reinvent their own industries, whether it's accounting or law or agencies, you know, marketing agencies, HR, finance, whatever it is. Um, that's what I think 2024 is really going to be, is not only these multimodal models being available to us, but innovators, entrepreneurs finding ways to reinvent industries with this technology mixed with AI agents, which we've talked about before, about these machines being able to not only output things, but then take actions. So the example you gave of, we need to build a site or we need to build this journey. Not only can it help us visualize the concept. So we start with an idea as the human, we put that idea into the engine, it comes back, help us hone that idea. Then once the idea is you know, more fully baked, say, okay, build it for us, generate the code to create this page, this site, hmm. this campaign. Okay. Now go in and build that campaign. Like that's what we're going to have in the next 12 to 18 months is not only a strategic assistant or an ideation engine, but we're going to have agents that can help us do the work. And that's the part, again, we keep talking about the business world isn't ready. They're, they're absolutely not ready for this multimodal world where the agents can take actions on our behalf. Um, when you talk about that stuff on stage, I don't know if you've done this, but like in the last couple of weeks, I've said this stuff on stage, I've shown examples and you can hear a pin drop in the room. Like, and then when you say like this, this isn't sci-fi, this isn't five years from now, I'm like theorizing this could be like, this is tech today. We're going to have these capabilities and people just like stare dumbfounded at the screen. And then you get the people who come up afterwards. They're like, how is this possible? Yeah. So. <laughs> That's I think we just can't stress enough on this show is like, we're not talking about three to five years out, like guessing this is pretty predictable stuff that's going to come next because everyone's working on it. So, you know, just 
like we always say, get through the fear and the uncertainty and the anxiety of it and just go experiment. It's the only thing we can really do is experiment and then connect the dots yourself. And like we've mentioned, I realize and I very much sympathize with the fact that people are so overwhelmed generally, but also in this domain. Yes, even go experiment, but here's your next step. Go buy ChatGPT Plus, plain and simple, and go spend an hour a day getting very, very good with it over the next 30 to 60 to 90 days. That's your step. And I'm not going to lie. Like I was, so I did a talk, well, it was Tuesday morning. I was in Miami and then I, I flew to Austin Tuesday night and I had a buffer day Wednesday in Austin. And then I had a talk. Thursday. And then I flew home like late Thursday night, Wednesday night. I actually hit a point where I was like, this is too much. Like I really was personally starting to feel like I just couldn't even process everything that had happened. Like I mentioned earlier, like I wasn't even sure I should change my decks. I wasn't sure like, how do I even like the meta stuff? Like, I'm like, oh my God, like that's what we're going to talk about next. It's like, this was the part that started putting me over the edge. It's like, I can't even process (laughs) all of this. So just know like, I feel it too. Like maybe it sounds like we got this all figured out because we have a show about this stuff, but it's a lot. And, and like, I sympathize greatly with the people we present to and talk to and meet with because I felt overwhelmed last week and I live this stuff 24 seven. Like most people listening to the show have full-time jobs with responsibilities related to things that aren't AI and they're trying to moonlight and solve for this. So Mike and I like get it totally <laughs> and like, yeah. So, I mean, when we're talking about this stuff, just know like we're trying to to figure it out ourselves, but it's a lot even for us. So if you ever are feeling overwhelmed, like just welcome to the club. And the only thing I can figure out is like one, try and synthesize it, break it down into parts that are digestible. And then as we keep saying, just, just play with the tools, pick one. Like we talk about all this stuff. We're going to talk about meta next meta just announced a whole bunch of stuff. If you only have a few hours a week, just go hard with ChatGPT Plus. Like it, it. I, that's my number one advice. I always tell people, like, where should we start? Just get good at ChatGPT Plus. Like it'll train you to get good at everything else that's coming online. If that's all you can do is experiment a little bit, then just just do that. All right. So let's talk about Meta because they are not sleeping on AI. They actually just dropped some major AI updates. And the biggest one is they're releasing an AI assistant. So think of this like ChatGPT within Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp. And this assistant has some pretty interesting features that are worth noting. First, it's conversational, just like ChatGPT or Claude or any of the others. It's going to connect to the internet via Microsoft Bing, and it will also generate images like Midjourney or Dolly. Now, here's the kicker, though. Right now, it is not trained on any public user data from uh, Meta's different social networks and apps. But reporters at The Verge have kind of hinted, based on their interviews with the company, that it very well could be trained on that data very soon. And I think this is really interesting if they're right. Because if you think about all the data that Meta is sitting on, we're talking things like billions of Facebook posts, messages, comments, Instagram photos, feeds, and reels, and of course, WhatsApp conversations. I mean, if you imagine an AI tool that can interact with all this, this starts to unlock some really, really fascinating AI use cases across social media and probably business and life at large. 
Now, also in addition to this assistant, Meta announced some other AI features of Note. You'll be able to soon create AI stickers. Stickers are existing functionality right now across some of the platforms. AI will be able to help you generate those. You'll be able to edit images with AI on Instagram. Uh, interestingly, they've noted that these images will be tagged to indicate that AI was used on them. And they're also releasing what they're kind of calling AI characters, which are these AI chatbots that have personalities that are informed in some cases by celebrities like Mr. Beast, Snoop Dogg, and Paris Hilton. So first up, Paul, like how important are these updates for users at large and also kind of businesses that are marketing on Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, first, the the, the thing that, jumped out to me is I think we're officially shifted from metaverse to AI at meta. So if you recall, they changed their name to meta, um, Facebook is still, you know, the social platform, but they were all in and rumor was they'd spent like $10 billion on the metaverse and it just hadn't delivered. Um, and, and from the outside, you look and it's like, but they have this amazing research lab, like run by Jan LeCun and others. And they, we knew that they had all this AI capability, but they were really, Zuckerberg was very much focused on the metaverse. And I think, you know, the chat GPT moment woke Zuckerberg up as well. And they are all in. Now, it's not like they're abandoning the metaverse. Just this week, uh, Lex Friedman yeah. had the podcast with Zuckerberg where they were virtually, you know, in like these very photorealistic images of each other and interacting. So if you haven't seen that, just Lex Friedman's a podcaster. He interviewed Zuckerberg in the metaverse with like the most advanced form of what they, the technology they have. So it's not like they're abandoning the metaverse completely, but I think they have made the full on shift to, to really leverage all the data and AI capabilities and talent that they have at meta, which was the right business decision. Um, the other thing I found fascinating is they are all of a sudden very friendly with Microsoft. So the fact that Meta's technology is going to find its way into Microsoft is interesting on a lot of levels. One, just that they're collaborating, which is interesting uh, competitively for Google, that those two are working together. For OpenAI, who obviously Microsoft put $10 billion into, it seems like Microsoft is really starting to hedge their bets, not against OpenAI, but that they're not reliant solely on OpenAI. So now you're going to have Meta AI being able to be infused into their and then rumor is that Microsoft is also starting to build their own smaller models to compete with GPT-4 so they're not as reliant on it from a cost standpoint. It costs a lot of money to use GPT-4. So anyway, so that that was interesting to me. Um, we also didn't address this, but they, in 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 these announcements, also talk about EMU, uh, uh, which is their image generation technology. So that'll compete with Dolly 3 and MidJourney. Um, that's another element of it. But I think the biggest thing from a business perspective is their distribution. They, they mm. have these applications that are so essential, so interwoven into our consumer lives and our business lives that you start to step back and try and think of all. And this is where I was saying like last Wednesday, where I was just like, my mind was on overload. When you start to look at the implications for all the different platforms that they have, and then into the training data they have and what they can do with that. So like, for example... If we think about inflection pie, which is able to, you know, they want it to be more of a personal assistant and to get to know you and to talk to you in a more informal way. We just talked about ChatGPT and its voice capabilities and being able to have conversations. Like you highlighted, Mike, if you have all of that data from how people actually communicate with each other and how they talk and comment and in videos, and you can train these models on that stuff, 
that's where you start to imagine like, wow, maybe Meta takes the lead on this capability if they build the right things. And then their play to do it through characters, like familiar characters or, you know, influencers, celebrities. Um, it becomes really interesting, also very concerning. Like I start to think about the, like the negative ramifications of this and how these things go off the guardrails. And um, that's why I said, like, it was just a lot. Like last week for me was personally a, a lot to, to process. Um, the other thing I'll say real quick is character.ai. I think you mentioned them. That's that company came out of. Um, so in 2017, we've talked about the attention is all you need paper from Google, which invented the transformer architecture. That's the foundation of GPT, generative pre-trained transformer. Um, one of the authors of that paper started character.ai. So a former Google person. And that's what character.ai does. Like you can go in and interact with all these different, you know, celebrities, experts, thought leaders, uh, entrepreneurs. And so I, I, I think that Rob Tao's article I mentioned, I think he brought up like maybe meta buys character.ai. Mm. So lots of interesting ramifications on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned character.ai because people don't know, we don't talk about it a ton, but it's like one of the most used AI tools out there according to some of the data in terms of like daily and monthly active users. And people apparently love having in-depth conversations with chatbots that have personalities that either mimic, you know, real people alive or dead or fictional characters. Um, it sounds like that's the direction, one of the directions Meta is also going. Do you think uh, we could see a significant portion of social media conversations happening with AI moving forward instead of people? I mean, it's sure possible. I got to ask the question, in one of my talks in the last two weeks about like people having relationships with their AI. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's happening already. Um, and I, I certainly think you could get to the point where you just start to trust these interactions and maybe you can, and I think that's what Meta's <laughs> going to enable is like, you can build whatever you want, like build me an AI agent. That's an expert in business law and has, you know, background in finance, because as an entrepreneur, I just need somebody to talk to about this stuff. Mm. And I, I would imagine you're going to be able to kind of like create your own characters, if that's what they're going to call them. I don't know if that's what's going to stick as like the name. But again, like you look at the technology and the advancements on the surface and it's like, oh, that's interesting. Here's the ways you could use it. But the more interesting thing is to actually stop and ponder what are the innovative ways this will be applied. And that's what I start to think about is, you know, and then you get into like licensing deals, you know, like Steve Jobs. Like, what if you want Steve Jobs as an actual like advisor? I know character.ai, I think you can go interact with Steve Jobs, but like, what if his estate licenses the ability to build these things like these influencers have done with Meta? I assume there's a licensing deal that's allowing them to use their um, character and, you know, personality and things within this, these tools. So it's just, that's why I say like, for me, this is so broad in terms of its implications that like the ability to build stickers, the ability to talk to these 20 people, like that's interesting, but that's just a prelude of like the much broader way that this stuff is going to be used. And that's the stuff where we keep saying, like, if you just figure out AI, the fundamentals of it, and you're a domain expert, like the future is constantly connecting the dots as new things emerge. It's like, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to your company? What does it mean to your industry? And so I think this can be really exciting. It can be overwhelming and it's okay to have the overwhelming days, but, um, 
there's just so much potential with stuff like this. Yeah, and I think it's tempting sometimes for some people to say, okay, maybe in one way or another, I'm not super interested in meta. Like I don't use Facebook anymore that much. I'm not very active on Instagram, though plenty of people are. But yeah. um, Or, oh, I don't really use WhatsApp. Well, billions of people still use these services, Instagram, obviously. But WhatsApp, I mean, is wildly popular and like a linchpin of communication in a lot of non-U.S. countries, both for personal communication and business, like customer service. So globally, there are some incredible implications here. But also, if you're just a business owner, it's like, I'm not active on these platforms. Why should I care? Well, maybe you should ask your marketing person, have you explored these features, right? I mean, even just that question can be really valuable. Are you using Instagram's AI photo editing so we don't have to spend as much time on that or what have you? Yep. Yeah. And to your point, like you may not use it. Like for me, I don't really use their tools that much, but your consumers do. Like, so you still got to understand it. Right. Yeah. It's, um, and we didn't even get into like their glasses, like the Ray-Bans that are going to record the <laughs> yeah. world around you. And, you know, so six months from now, if you see people wearing black Ray-Bans, you got to wonder like, are they recording me right now? There's a pretty good chance they are. And everything's just, yeah. Like I said, I, you could pick any one of these and just like play it out the good and the bad of each of these announcements. Yeah. So another huge news story in AI this past week, Anthropic, the maker of the popular Claude AI assistant, announced that Amazon is investing up to $4 billion in the company. And Anthropic says this will make, quote, safe and steerable AI widely accessible to AWS customers. AWS will also become Anthropic's primary cloud provider for mission-critical workflows. And importantly, that gives Anthropic access to Amazon chips to be developing further AI models. It will also open up access to Claude 2 to many more organizations who are already building on AWS and want to access state-of-the-art models in safe and secure ways. What's cool about this announcement also is that Anthropic cited how some major companies are already building with Anthropic models via Amazon. For instance, LexisNexis Legal and Professional is using a custom version of Claude 2 to summarize and draft legal content. Uh, the famous investing firm Bridgewater Associates is using Claude 2 to generate charts and summarize data. And the travel company Lonely Planet is using Claude 2 to drop the cost of generating their travel itineraries by up to 80% using all the decades of travel content they have available. So first up, what does this mean for Anthropic and its competitive position in the AI landscape? So this stuff is really hard to keep track of, but my first reaction when I saw this is, wait a second, didn't Google just put a bunch of money into Anthropic? Like, so if you think about... If we go back to the technology infrastructure at play here, we have the infrastructure companies like NVIDIA that makes the chips. And then you have Google with their cloud. You have AWS with it from Amazon and you have Microsoft Azure. Those are the cloud companies where all the data lives, where these models can you know connect to the data and do things. Then you have the companies building the models like Anthropic and Inflection and Cohere and all these players. And then you have the application layer companies, the software companies building on top of them. So what we're seeing is the cloud companies, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon 
are doing deals with the language model companies like Anthropic deal here. So AWS and Anthropic. But so I go back and check my notes and it's like, oh yeah, totally. So in February, there was a report that the Financial Times said in late 2022, Google invested around 300 million in Anthropic. In return, Google got a 10% stake in the company. Separately, Anthropic announced that, that week in February that Google Cloud is its preferred cloud provider and the companies will co-develop AI computing systems. So just, what is that, seven months ago, Anthropic raises 300 million from Google and basically says, they're our partners. Like we're gonna you know, work with Google. And now we have up to 4 billion from Amazon seven months later. So the word is it was like 1.3 billion up front, maybe in processing power, maybe in money, I don't, I don't know. And then up to 4 billion based on whatever the terms of the agreement are. So what it shows is like the competition is insane right now for these language model companies. So we have Microsoft that we know put like 10 billion into OpenAI for access to GPT-4, but just what we talked about previously, they, they're doing deals with Meta now, who has Llama 2, the, the biggest open source model, and they were the lead investor in inflection. Um, so that, that was earlier this year. Then you have Google, who's invested in Anthropic and Cohere that we know of and probably others. And then you have Amazon that did their deal with Anthropic, but they also put money into Cohere and they're doing deals with Meta and they have Stability AI. And it is like mind boggling, like how this space is playing out right now. And then keep in mind, like Dario Amade, who's the co-founder of Anthropic, was the vice president of research at OpenAI. And prior to that, he was a research leader at Google. So we, I know a few episodes that we talk about how all these people are connected. They all work together at different times. They all came from like the same company trees. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, it's a huge deal what they're doing. Uh, we had a whole episode uh, where we talked about Dario and the interview he did about what Anthropic's building. So if you, you know, that would be a good one to go back and listen to to get more context around Anthropic. But they are a major player. They're investing, obviously, billions in building their next generation models, which will be multimodal. Um, Dario, the founder of Anthropic, was the guy who I think led the development of GPT-1 and GPT-2 at OpenAI. So, yeah, I mean, if you weren't paying attention to Anthropic Claude before, now would be a good time to start. <laughs> and they're, they're the one, uh, it, again, if you're not familiar... They have the largest context window at the moment. So what that means is if you want to do a prompt in Claude, you can give it up to like 75,000 words as part of the prompt. So you could give it a whole novel. You could give it the last hundred like customer service transcripts. You could give it, you know, a thousand sample emails. Like you could give it all this stuff as like training data basically um, to, to drive the output. So major player crazy the amount of money that's getting thrown around to these language model companies you gotta think at some point somebody buys someone like mm. I, I i mean i assume that in all these deals there is some sort of like right of first refusal on acquiring the companies i don't know like it's it's wild so what does this mean for me if i'm an aws customer today i think they said that it's actually like widely available already that if your data lives in AWS, you can now start training Claude models on your data safely, securely, already through procurement, like it's it's already there. Hmm. So I think that's the biggest implication is Claude 2 is now baked right into your AWS account and you're able to start using your data that's already living there to build things with Claude. 
So obviously, as we know, you know, in some of the work we do, enterprise adoption and development of this stuff is complicated. But at a general level, if you are an enterprise trying to build your own model or customize one and you're an AWS customer, you probably need to be looking into one of the models they offer. Having your CIO, like your data team. Yeah. This is one where like, if you're a marketer listening to this, you're probably going to need some help. Like you're not probably going into AWS and starting to build your own models. Um, but you're bringing business cases for ideas to build, you know, some pilot models, things like that. So knowing it's possible and being able to go have a conversation with the people in your company you need to talk to, to start testing it out is really the key there. So if I'm not an AWS customer, what kind of lessons or takeaways should I be thinking about in light of this development? Well, if you're at Google or Microsoft, you have similar capabilities with other language models. Like this is, this is the future. So again, the cloud companies, there's three major players. If your data lives in those, all three of them are trying to build the ability for you to de develop language models in your company based on these other foundation models. So maybe you're building with Anthropic, maybe you're building with Cohere, maybe it's Meta's Llama 2, maybe it's Stability AI, um, maybe it's OpenAI, GPT-4, whatever. These are the models that you're going to build on. So your data has got to live in a cloud, and then you use one of these models to basically train custom versions for your company. Maybe there's a customer service version, and a marketing version, and a sales version, and a HR version. Like that's the assumption we're under is you're probably going to have a collection of these models in your company that are tuned specifically for different applications or different business functions. And maybe, maybe you're an AWS customer and one of them is built on Cohere because Cohere is best at marketing. And maybe another one is built on Anthropic because it's best at handling HR and legal. Like that's the unknown right now. And that's why consultants who can help solve these strategies are going to make a lot of money in the coming years. All right, let's dive into a bunch of rapid fire topics. First up, what if you could translate your favorite podcast into another language instantly? This is soon going to be a reality for at least some podcasts because Spotify is partnering with OpenAI to launch a new AI voice translation feature for podcasts. This tool will let podcasters create versions of their shows translated into other languages. And this isn't just standard kind of translation. Spotify's AI will actually create a synthesized version of the podcaster's own voice in the new language. And they're actually starting to roll this out with high-profile podcasters like Dax Shepard and Lex Friedman. The tool actually uses OpenAI's Whisper technology for transcription and translation. And it uses new audio replication technology to clone the voices. Uh, right now, the initial languages they're supporting are translating into Spanish, French, and German from English. Uh, right now, it's actually unclear how widely Spotify plans to roll this out. At the moment, there are some concerns that rolled out in the wrong way. This could lead to misuse synthesizing people's voices. So- I think. <laughs> It definitely sounds to me, Paul, that we now have the ability to just immediately translate podcasts into different languages. Like, I whether Spotify rolls forward with that or not, how should I be thinking about a podcast strategy to prepare for this? I, I just got, like, lost for a second in how easy it is to scrape and, like, steal 
text online, mm. like to you know publish stuff and make it appear as it's your own. And and now I'm wondering if like it's going to be that easy with podcasting. So if you can synthesize our voices, which you can, uh, and you can write a script with Claude or GPT-4, which you can, and you can publish a podcast under our voices with us saying stuff we've never said, you can do that. Like that's, mm. that's doable right now. Like there's no advancement in technology needed. When I first saw this, the, the next unlock is not only more languages with which Meta and Google are actually the leaders in number of languages that they can do translation to. Um, so I would see them playing in this space. But the next is going to be deep faking of the mouth to move with the translation. Yeah. Because right now, I think their technology is just voice synthesis and translation, but the words don't match the mouth. Um, but that is not out of the realm of possibility in the next 12 months either. That you could actually deep fake our entire thing and we could have a Spanish edition of each podcast episode. You could watch it on YouTube and it looks like you and I are speaking in Spanish. Um, this text scares me, honestly, like I, it's fascinating from a business perspective. There's no turning back. I'm not saying like we should stop this. Uh, it, it's coming. Um, it's already here in many cases, but I worry about this kind of stuff a lot. Like it's going to be so easy to, replicate anyone's voice and, um, have them say whatever you want them to say and create audio. And, and as far as I know, like, we're still trying to figure out how to know if AI generated text or images, like I haven't heard anything about the ability to, to analyze whether or not someone actually said anything. Right. Like, I, I don't know if there's AI detection technology for audio yet. I, I would assume there, someone's working on it, probably the U S government. I would imagine DARPA has something for this, but. I, don't, I haven't seen any research papers on that, the spread of synthetic audio and how are we supposed to know if you and I said what we said kind of thing. I know we were, this was supposed to be like a cool podcasting <laughs> example, but man, this, this, this one worries me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. But yeah. Cool. Cool tech. I, I guess the implications are you're going to be able to unlock more markets, which is on the goods on the pro side. Um, our podcast, our content is English speaking audiences only, and that's not the only language spoken in the world. So it'd be really nice if we could open up to other audiences and especially if you have, you know, valuable content to, to share and to help people, it'd be nice to know you can spread that further. Um, I don't know what the checks and balances, like, I don't know who verifies that the translation is correct. Mm. This goes back to like, I, I assume you still need a human in the loop that makes sure that the accuracy is is there for these translations or are we just going to like say whatever we trust the tech it's 97 percent accurate and like let's just every brand just now starts putting out all these translations of audio and text with no verification of whether or not it's accurately translated um i don't, I don't know i don't know this is again audio we've said it before like i think 2024 is going to be the year of audio too like it's going to be in you know video and audio are going to be huge next year as long as ai agents um but it's not a space I've studied a ton. And I don't know that there's been as like nearly as many AI research papers that have come out on the audio side. It's like, we're just starting. We're like where image generation was in spring of 2022. I feel like that's where we are now with audio that it's just starting to have its moment. And now we'll start getting a ton more innovation and research in this space. Mm. 
So in some other news, the Writers Guild of America reached a tentative deal to end its 146-day strike. So this is marking some major progress towards resolving Hollywood's labor disputes. But what's really interesting is AI played a starring role here. So this deal includes gains for writers, like giving them more compensation from streaming, uh, limiting TV writer rooms, and restricting how studios use AI without consent. And I mean, AI acted as kind of a lightning rod issue during this strike. It wasn't the only thing they were striking over, but it did galvanize a lot of other actors and the public at large to kind of respond positively to this idea that writers were trying to protect their livelihoods from being impacted by artificial intelligence. And so due to some reporting at The Guardian, apparently under the new terms, Studios cannot use AI to write scripts or to edit scripts that have already been written by a writer. And it also prevents studios from treating AI-generated content as source material, like a novel or a stage play, that screenwriters could then be assigned to adapt for a lower fee and for less credit than a fully original script. So, Paul, what did you take away from the... AI-specific provisions of this deal. Everything I saw was that the writers won here and set an important precedent. And I think we're going to see a similar follow-on in other industries. And the basic takeaway, it appears, as you were saying, was like the writers are allowed to use the AI to assist in script writing, but the studios aren't allowed to replace the writers in essence. So you can't use the AI to do scripts or to improve them. Um, so that's the main thing is that it appears as though the writers got what they wanted here, which is the allow the ability to use it while protecting themselves from being replaced by it. So I would expect we'll see, you know, some other industries very quickly that'll use this as precedent to uh, protect other humans. And, and it's a tricky one because in reality, as we talked before, like it probably could write scripts. With the tech we have today, it probably could do it. And as it gets multimodal, it could probably even build storyboards as it's writing it. <laughs> like, so I think it was important that the writers did what they did now, um, because I feel like if they didn't negotiate this here, mm. they would have lost the chance. Like this was the one moment where they could get these concessions because the tech is going to make possible the things they were afraid that it would be able to do. So in other news, Getty Images is partnering with NVIDIA to launch Generative AI by Getty Images, which is a new AI image generation tool trained only on Getty's licensed photo library. It gives users full copyright protection when they publish images commercially created by the tool. So The Verge actually tested out the tool and found that it generated pretty high-quality realistic photos from text prompts, just like any other image generation tool. And these were based on actual stock photos that Getty owns. Um, they did say when they tried to generate illustrations, those were a little less um, sophisticated. But in terms of actual stock photos created by AI, they were quite good. Um, Getty has also said it's going to pay creators if it uses the AI-generated images they create to train the current and future versions of the model. And it is also limiting images of real people so that you can't start 
manipulating photos to look like public figures and spread misinformation. So I guess when I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, is Getty now a viable option for me if I'm a business that wants to avoid all these possible legal issues with using generative AI? Yeah, I definitely think for enterprises that are more risk adverse uh, or worried about, you know, being sued for using like a mid journey um, that, you know, maybe use some illegal images to train its models and eventually, you know, you get sued for it in some way. Um, this seems like a safer route. It's not going to be as good. Like that, that's like right up front. We just acknowledge mid journey Dolly three, they're going to blow this out of the water most likely because they don't have as many guardrails and limitations to how they were trained uh, and therefore the quality of what it's able to output. But for corporations that want a safer route, this is probably it. Now, I, I just to clarify, it says it gives users full copyright protection when publishing images. What I would say there is, I think what they're implying is copyrights weren't infringed upon to train the model. That mm. does not mean you can own a copyright or a trademark to something you output from the model because that's not currently allowed under U.S. copyright. So law. Um, so just to, to clarify there, just to, like something to consider. Um, so yeah, I would say this is probably a more conservative play, probably safer play for bigger enterprises that have to worry about or have legal challenges to using a, a tool like Dolly or Midjourney where they may get questioned about the, um, the legality of how the models were trained. So in a pretty major issue in AI this week, it looks like Google has been indexing at least some of the conversations that users are having with Bard, meaning that they were starting to appear in search results. Now, they've clarified the issue since on Thursday. Jack Krawcheck, a senior product director at Google who works on Bard, tweeted that the only subset uh, only a subset of chats were actually indexed. And these were chats that users had already agreed to publicly share based on Bard's terms. And they were also chats that they had linked to publicly elsewhere online. So I believe that's where the issue came from. Google actually indexed those and started displaying them in certain search results. But he also said that those chats have now been removed from Google search. So it doesn't sound like this became a widespread issue. It doesn't sound like it's something you necessarily need to worry about that suddenly all your private chats with Bard are going to be in the public sphere. That's all really good. But I kind of have to ask the question that might be on the minds of other people in the audience. Like, is Google losing its step? Like we've seen a series of kind of underwhelming AI releases from them and now stuff like this. I don't, I, I don't know. I would read too much into it. I think they got caught. Like I, so basically the way it worked, it like just to clarify even further, if you went in and did a, uh, an output in Bard, like you gave it a prompt and it gave you something. And then like, let's say I did that and I wanted to share it with Mike. And then I chose share link with Mike. That sharing of the link to Mike, whereas the user, I would assume only Mike is going to like get that link and be able to access it. That link was then being indexed. So my choice to share a link with a user, another user was making it indexable in Google and now able to show up in results. So maybe it's not embarrassing stuff. Maybe it's just standard stuff, whatever, but maybe in their terms it clarified that but like realistically i think the expectation as a user is if i share something with mike 
I don't expect it to be the number one result on a search engine result page. And so they came out and basically were like, oh, our bad. When they said our bad, they didn't say it wasn't intentional. They mm. just basically got caught that it was happening and users didn't seem to understand that that's what they were agreeing to. The other side of this from a marketing perspective is I think it was an SEO guy who figured it out oh. and he tweeted it out because from an SEO perspective, they saw like, oh my gosh, Google's indexing bar chats. Let's go optimize for bar <laughs> chats and like start sharing the links out. And now we can get listings at the top of Google results. So Google obviously doesn't want SEO people gaming the system. So it probably became more of like, oh, we got to turn this off. Um, I think it was an intentional choice that they were allowing them to be indexed. They just came out and said, oh, we forgot. No, they didn't. Like that, that, <laughs> if they did, someone got fired. Like that's a pretty big thing to forget. Yeah. Um, so I think the moral of the story though is we've talked about before about trust in these systems and knowing what you're putting into them and knowing what they're keeping, what they're sharing. And so if Google's doing stuff like this, like you got to really read closely on all these other tools you're going to use and know how they're using your data. Um, and that might mean taking the time to read their terms of service or taking their terms of service and putting it into ChatGPT or Claude and saying, what items in here should I be paying attention to? Like, what should, you know, what should I make sure I read thoroughly kind of thing? So in our last topic for today, Ethan Malik, who we've talked about many times on the podcast, he's one of the top AI experts out there. He's a professor at Wharton. He just released a series of articles that explain how students can use AI to improve their learning. And this series covers use cases such as using AI as a feedback generator, a personal tutor, a team coach to improve your group work, and as a learner itself, so students can learn a subject better through teaching it to AI tools. This also offers practical advice for students and their teachers on how to properly understand large language models, understand what limitations they have, and it offers some best practices for using them. So I found this really fascinating, useful material. Like if I'm an educator or a parent, Paul, what is the quickest and best way for me to use information like this? Yeah, experiment. Like, and this is what we were saying earlier, like pick some use cases that you actually want to try and then go test them. So I think there's four great ones here. And the beauty of this is like they give you the sample prompts. So the AI for tutor one, you know, it starts with you are an up, this is the prompt that it's teaching you to give. You're an upbeat, encouraging tutor who helps students understand concepts by explaining ideas and asking questions. Uh, start by introducing yourself to the student as their tutor, who's happy to help them. Only ask one question at a time, never move on until the student responds. So then it's like this very in-depth prompt, but this is the, the perfect example. Like if you don't know how to have ChatGPT help your child, Mm. This is a great way to go in and do it. It's like, oh, that's how you write a great prompt. And then just that one example of prompt teaches you to start prompting differently. And as we've said before, like prompting still matters, like especially with ChatGPT and these language models, your ability to give it guidance, set guardrails, tell it to go step by step. So you understand, like these are all really essential ways to get the most value out of these systems. So I think stuff like this is great. And, and for teachers and students who really need to figure out how to use these things responsibly as quickly as possible, I'm happy to see they're sharing this stuff out. Well, that's a wrap on another packed week in AI. Paul, thank you as always for decoding what's going on in AI this week. I know I appreciate it and I know our audience appreciates it. 
Yeah, and quick note, we uh, if you don't already subscribe to the newsletter, we have a newsletter on Marketing Institute's site. Uh, it comes out every Tuesday morning. And what Mike's done is we feel like reformatted it. So if you're a previous subscriber, you'll notice something different this week. And if you haven't subscribed, you know this is how it's going to work. So we're actually going to take all the key uh, topics and rapid fire items, as well as some additional topics that don't make the cut each week. And we're going to build all of those right into the newsletter. So it, it'll be kind of like a recap of everything. You'll be able to click deeper into it. So we put all the, the links in the show notes for the podcast, but now you'll be able to get quick access to them in the weekly newsletter as well. Um, so we'll put the link to the newsletter in the show notes, but you can just go to marketinginstitute.com and under resources is the newsletter. Um, so that's a, a good way to keep up to speed as well. So uh, Mike, thanks as always for curating everything and leading us through the conversation. And we'll talk with everyone again next week. Great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to The Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.